0: Bobby Osinski's Inner Circle. I'm Bobby Osinski, and this is a show all about music, music production, and the music business. My guest today is CEO of the music finance company BeatBread, Peter Sinclair. First of all, I don't know if you've noticed, but there has been no really big hit songs for the first part of the year. What was happening was the old songs from last year were carried over to this year. And only recently, Harry Styles as it was, that can be classified as a pretty big hit. But the fact of the matter is, there's not many others. And that begs the question, why? Well, there's a number of reasons. The first one is that labels really are only looking for songs that already have some sort of traction before they get behind them. Once upon a time, of course, there'd be a lot of artist development. they pour a lot of money into an artist just trying to make something happen, and there's less and less of that these days because they're looking for the built-in hit. Another thing is that TikTok was really responsible for a bunch of hits over the last two years, but that's changed. First of all, their algorithm has changed, but labels are coming to understand that the quick hits that they got from TikTok come and go. And there's not a lot of long-term success. So now they're kind of changing their strategy. But perhaps the biggest reason is that A-listers are just not releasing music this year. And the reason for that is they're all out on tour. They're trying to make money to make up for not touring for the last two years. So what we're finding is there's less music being released, especially by major artists, Labels have really changed their outlook on everything and there's a lot of artists that would choose to tour because you make more money than actually release new music. And that's why we're not seeing big hits this year so far. If you have any questions or comments, you can send them to questions at bobbyosinski.com. Also, I'm pleased to announce that the fifth edition of my Mixing Engineers Handbook is now available. It's totally updated and includes new sections on mixing and immersive audio, self-mastering, new mixer interviews, and much more. Get your copy at a special discounted price at bobbyosinski.com forward slash handbook. That's bobbyosinski.com forward slash handbook. You can also get it on Amazon and Apple Books. Now the world of frequency and vibration is often misunderstood and there's a lot of cool things that go on. One of the things that happened oh a few years ago was that there was a big 39-story building called the Technomart in Seoul, South Korea. And it shook so hard for 10 minutes that it was evacuated for two days. The thing about it is there was no earthquake. And when they actually researched into what was happening, it turns out it was caused by 17 middle-aged people doing Taibo exercises in the 12th floor fitness center. So the resonant frequency of them jumping up and down caused the whole building to shake for 10 minutes. This was just one of the subjects that Richard Manwaring covered in his book, Everybody Hurts, H-E-R-T-Z for hertz. Another thing he touched on was that if a piano was built large enough, that it could sound every note that a human can hear, it would need an additional octave above and below the existing keyboard. Another thing was, if you concentrate on a task, it generates brainwaves of 40 hertz or higher, which is amazing that we can't hear the hum. This is the one that really got me. Manwaring claims that there's nothing magical about perfect pitch. I always felt there was. I was always in awe of anybody that had perfect pitch. But he claims that there was no such thing before 1955. And the reason why is that was the year that the A note was standardized at 440 hertz. Before that, there was no such thing. Then it turns out the people that speak Mandarin Chinese are more likely to have perfect pitch because the language has so much tonal inflection. Never knew that. And then finally, this is one that keeps on coming up over and over. 19 hertz can really do a lot of things to a human. First of all, it can trigger cold sweats, it can trigger fits of severe depression, (laughs) and sightings of dead people. Now, it turns out that these symptoms were actually traced back into the 1800s, and what they found was that people would actually go into caves below cathedrals, and many of them had really long tunnels that would vibrate in such a way that when a low pedal D hit on the organ, in fact, people would (laughs) then have sightings and psychedelic experiences. And they know this because there are actually positions to stand in that were marked in these caves that indicated, stand here for the best psychedelic experience. So, sound and vibration matters to us on a lot of different levels. What we can hear is one thing, but what we can feel is quite another. My guest this week is Peter Sinclair, the CEO of BeatBread. BeatBread enables artists and songwriters to get advances from $1,000 up to $2 million based on the strength of their catalogs. Unlike other services, the company allows artists to keep 100% ownership of their masters, publishing, touring, merch, and sync income. You can design the agreement that works for you after the service gathers your data, which only takes about a few minutes. It's a way to stay independent without having to sign a bad deal to a record label just to get some working capital. During the interview, we spoke about how we accidentally entered the music business, why many artists don't want label services, how an artist can get access to working capital, and much more. I spoke with Peter via Zoom from his office near Los Angeles. You have a wide background in business, and I'm just curious how you got to the music business.
1: Yeah, well, I am definitely an accidental participant in the music industry. There's no question about it. Um, most of my career is in venture-backed startups from consumer finance to sports tickets. to, if you can believe it or not, direct from the field, Flowers. And I joined universal music group left the startup world about seven years ago because i had a one of my children had a health issue and working at a startup was just not a viable thing at the time and it was um from a career perspective um a very happy accident because i happened to stumble into the music industry and by the way one of the job requirements for the job I took is they were looking for someone who had never worked in music before. It was an explicit job requirement, but I stumbled into the music industry when global streaming revenues were less than a billion dollars. Mm. And now they're, you know, starting to bump up against 25 billion. And so I have only ever seen the music industry grow, which I know is, is, a, is probably a rare thing for people who've been in the industry and uh, more critically, I happened to, you know, enter when streaming hasn't just increased revenue. As we all know, it really has changed the dynamics of it. You know, distribution is now democratized. Marketing is a different exercise and the kinds of things that artists need to build a career are different. And I was just an observer inside the label system of how many artists didn't want a lot of the label services and had their own marketing teams, their own digital teams, all those things. And as an outsider, it just seemed really strange. And I had a lot of conversations with different label presidents and things like that. And um, they kept saying, you know, don't worry about it. If this person doesn't want to use what you do, you know, don't worry about it. And it kept not making sense to me. And finally, one of them confided and say, it's not just you, they don't want to use this part of our, our label, that part of our label, that part of our label. Um, and I blurted out, well, what are we just to check? And he started laughing at me. And so I am not one who thinks labels don't add value. I think labels for many artists add a ton of value. I do think though, that some artists don't belong in a label and want to assemble their own teams. And other artists may want to use a great independent label, right? Great in their genre, um, great a folks, great marketing folks. But if the Conversation about money and services are separate. I think a lot of artists are served better. Um, and that's what we do at Beat Bread. So uh, that's how I got here. And that's sort of how Beat Bread started, was sort of just observing industry really at a, at a crazy, lucky time of change uh, that I saw.
0: You know, I can see why artists today are hesitant to use label services because over the years, the labels have gotten a reputation deserved or not, that you can't really trust them. And part of the problem would be you have somebody you really like there, you commit to them and then they're gone and all the policies change. Right. What would happen would be the artists would feel disconnected, out of control. And and that's why they want to take control back.
1: Yeah. I think that's absolutely right. And and you know we we at Beat bread are, you know, we're not a distributor and we don't provide any services and we think services are essential, but we think that every artist is unique. But some of the more sophisticated managers who have used our platform for funding have observed to us that the thing I really like about you guys is I can fire my partners if I take a check from you, just to be really blunt about it. If, if this marketing company doesn't perform for me, I can next year go to a next one, but my, my financial relationship was, was with you, which honestly wasn't part of the original idea, but it, but it, it's sort of an interesting bit of feedback we've gotten, you know, for sort of the medium and larger size deals that we do for the, you know, the sophisticated managers who, you know, could go with a label, um, instead of us.
0: Can you describe for those that are listening exactly what beep bread does?
1: Yeah. So, um, we are a funding platform. Um, so we provide money for a share of streaming revenues. We do not take an ownership position. Everything we do is data driven. It would only be a little bit hyperbolic to say that we are, that, you know, we don't listen to the music at all. So we fund across genre, across size. We'll do advances for as small as a thousand dollars and up to $2 million. But the experience on our site is an artist can come type in their name in a matter of 15 to minutes to an hour, they'll get an email back from us and then they can go into our website. Uh, We pulled down a bunch of data and they can design their own deal from one to eight years long. They can include new music or just do a catalog deal. They can choose flow through. We then have a way where you can automatically upload your distribution reports, reread them and then we give you a number. So if you wanna be critical, it's an antiseptic thing where it's, it's not, we're not listening to music and saying, Oh, this is amazing. And you're going to be a 10 X tomorrow. Right. And, and by the way, there's merit to that approach, right? It's just not what we do. If you have even a a modest or small following and you're growing, or we have access to capital without all the strings attached to the label, both from an ownership perspective, but also the services.
0: I saw something on your site where th- I think there's a lower limit of 10,000 monthlies. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, so that is a guide. So our decision to fund and the amount that we can give is based on a number of factors. Uh, It's historical revenues, historical streams, your fan base, the intensity of your fan base, there are a number of ways that we can measure that your growth and generally speaking if you have less than 10,000 monthly listeners, you probably wouldn't qualify for an advance for, from us. However, if you have 8,500 monthly listeners on Spotify, but you have super intense fans, you you, you very well could, right? Or you only have 2,000 monthly listeners on Spotify, um, but you have a huge profile on Apple Music or a huge profile on, on Amazon, you could also qualify. But it's, it's a good general guide. I mean, there are... Uh, seven or eight million, I can't remember the latest count, artists on on Spotify. We think that we can probably fund two to three hundred thousand of them, which you know is not not everyone. On the other hand, the number of artists who can qualify for financing and honestly can make a living on the recorded music now is certainly in the tens of thousands. And that just didn't happen before streaming took off.
0: Yeah, and actually, the, where I was going with this is the fact that Spotify just put out some numbers, and, and yes, there are eight million artists, but the number of artists that get ten thousand streams a month was a hundred and sixty-five thousand. Yep. I mean that's substantial, a substantial amount in terms of what you can handle, I'm sure. But they qualify them as professional artists. If you get ten thousand, I'm trying to think of the criteria. It was 10,000 views and I think 10,000 followers, was it?
1: it, it I can't remember, but it, yeah. it's something like that. And then if you, and and, and the important thing, they also published some revenue numbers. And I think the important thing, it's frustrating for me to read the press because the article is always, assumes that Spotify is 100% of the streaming pride. Yeah. If you want to think about an artist, you know, Spotify is less than 50% of the global streaming market. And so, you know, it's really quite amazing how, You know, music did what, in about five years, what it took television four decades to do, which is go from, you know, television went from three channels and a a couple of huge shows that one third of America watched to the shows I watched, you may not watch. I see someone on the street and I'm starstruck and you you think it's just, you know, you don't know, it's Joe Schmo, right? That happened in music, you know, in less than a decade. Um, there's so many more artists who have sort of these viable, passionate niches of fans and can make really it's been quite eye-opening for us the number of people that no one on our team has heard of. And we have a diverse set of tastes on our team that are making five, ten, fifteen thousand dollars a month on their streaming revenue. it's 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 really remarkable.
0: You've mentioned that about being sort of blase, seeing stars, quote stars. Where I live, I can walk, I'm a block away from Warner Brothers, what they call Warner Ranch. I can walk to ABC, NBC, Disney. So what happens is in my neighborhood, they're always shooting movies. Always. And the first time that happened, you know, you're walking going down the street and go, Oh, they're doing a movie. And then after two or three times you go, get out of the way. Come on, you're taking too much time. You know, he gets so blasé about the whole thing but you know, that's part of living in Burbank. How did Beat Bread get started?
1: So, um, as I, so I was, I was at Universal sort of a, a a startup guy in sort of fish out of water, but, but growing a business there. And I was just observing how many artists that I was tasked to work with, you know, really didn't want the services that I was being asked to hawk. Um, so my, my job there was sort of the super fan business, the e-commerce, the VIP, the, um, we built a little vinyl business there, um, for super fans. It it was, that was the, that Genesis idea that I talked about that a lot, maybe artists want to separate the check from the services. I then, um, spent a lot of time thinking about it. And I realized that we need to be able to predict future revenues. And I worked with a number of different data science scientists actually bought a very large data set from Nielsen with my own money it was a it was a reasonably expensive car, uh, that I, I, I bought and we, we basically licensed a few hundred thousand artists, uh, several million tracks. And my co-founder, believe it or not, has even less music experience than I do. He comes out of the data science world. He built, um, uh, algorithms for insurance companies and also, um, energy traders. And, the more we looked at the data the more we realized we couldn't just, we couldn't only, we could predict more than just catalog. We could predict future releases. And that's when we really started to get get excited. So we launched our website uh, in 2020. Uh, no, it was actually black Friday and that was not a marketing thing. That's just the code was finally ready. And we did one deal that month and now we're doing well over a deal every day, uh, including the weekends. And we've, we've funded, you know, over 300 artists uh, at this point. And I don't think it's crazy to think that we'll be, have funded more than a thousand artists by the end of
0: the year. Well, a lot of it is getting the word out, obviously, that this is possible. It's perennial getting financing to do something that the artist thinks will improve their career.
1: Yeah. And and, and we do see, I mean, I think there was some skepticism from some of our early investors or people who didn't invest that. You know, artists would take the money and you know behold, you know fast cars and 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 parties and stuff. We have observed what artists have done with it. We survey our artists. We see what happens. The vast majority of artists are using our money to market their music or pay a producer. That is far over fifty percent of the use cases. Just those two. And you know, artists want to promote their careers. And um, and 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 you're right. They they need the money. And and we've also been lucky. You know, some artists have taken our money. They've promoted themselves. It's unwell. And they've signed a major labels afterwards, which, which we think is wonderful. Right. Um, if, if, if they want, if that's what you want to do, you know, and we're not saying that labels aren't for anyone, right. They're for some people. And if we allowed someone to get to a level that they could be signed or they're already at that level, but they have a little more leverage and they get a better deal a year later, uh, you know, that's happened too.
0: Let's go back a little bit to when you were at universal And you were doing e-commerce there. And I'm just curious what that entailed.
1: Yeah. So it was definitely not what I expected because I, at a startup, doing e-commerce means directly building products, you know, websites and experiences yourself, doing a lot of analytics on what your product should be, getting feedback. And it's harder when you're inside a label because you can't necessarily build all the experiences and all the controls. It's it's a, a, you know, it's a a corporation, right. And and those, those, it's different than my experience. And then it's just very hard to approach artist products, whether they be the color vinyl or the kind of shirt and all those things in an analytical way, because the artist has their own view, which by the way, they should, right. You know, I, I didn't leave universal thinking, Oh, this is stupid. Right. Uh, I, I left Universal quite humbled about how hard it is to run a repeatable, sustainable business when you're dealing with, you know, hundreds and hundreds of artists with their own perspectives, their own particular brands, all those things. I I, I would say that, at risk of oversharing, but here we are. There's a lot of friction when you're coming from a major label trying to bring centralization of all these things and and look for the efficiencies of cross-pollination. And each artist is their own entrepreneur, their own business, their own brand. And those things are inherently in conflict. So, it wouldn't be wrong to say that I went in trying to figure out how to bring all this together and centralize and own the customer, you know, on behalf of the artists and all those things. And really, what we're doing now is rather than to do that, is just lean into the fact that music is a decentralized business. And rather than fight it, actually empower it and lean into it. Give artists the tools for each of them to be their own thing, choose their own partners, choose, choose everything. But I think the pain of dealing with that, you know, coming in as a naive outsider. Okay. Now, wait, this is the biggest music company in the world. We're going to leverage all of our artists and build the aggregate these huge fan bases and have all these efficiencies across artists. Um, it was really hard. I mean, we were, we were quite successful in terms of growing that business, but, um, to what I thought was possible. Um, we only barely scratched the surface. And a lot of that has to do with just the fact that, as I said, music is every artist is their own business and every artist should be their own business. And, and, and we're just trying to, you know, give them as many options as possible.
0: I was looking at your FAQ and one of the things that I realized as I was going through, there's an idea of what the transaction is between Beat Bread and an artist, but I think superficially it's not exactly what you think. And you, when I started you know, read, read this, I'm thinking, okay, wait a second. The artist retains a lot of control in this and the, the feeling would be, okay, you're giving me money and I'm giving you some control. And to some degree, that's true. But it's not like you have control over my, the direction of my career. You don't have control over who I choose to work with and how I work with them. It was pretty liberal, actually. I thought, and, you know, if I were an artist today, I'd look at this. I think, okay, you know, this is not a bad idea. This this works.
1: Well, thank you for that. I mean, we've gotten fantastic feedback. You know, a lot of artists are coming back and, you know, at the end of their deals and and re-upping with us, uh, our satisfaction is really high. So we we feel like we're onto something. And, you know, there's a bit of a leap of faith, right? When we're, you know, raising from institutional funders tens of millions of dollars we're gonna give to artists, you know, wait, you're you're not passing judgment on the next song. You're not like, are you... You're foolish, right? We definitely got some of that. But the good thing is it's a big wide world and you only need to convince some people to give you money, not everyone. And it's working.
0: It works better the way you're doing it because it's all data driven rather than taste driven, which is the way that the industry has worked forever. And let's face it, not everybody has that magic touch. <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, I always I always tell the team and I tell investors when when we have this conversation, I, I said, I have there are definitely people out there that can hear an artist in an in a in a club and say that's a star and that's not right whereas I might hear three of them and think they're all amazing. I just know that I'm not that person. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: And I know that no one at our company is. And and you know we don't we don't have to solve the problem for everyone, right? Uh, it's a it's a it's a big world out there.
0: Bread just received a uh, big round of funding.
1: Yes, yes. So yeah, so we raised 34 million dollars from a great uh, group of investors. So Desians Capital is a, a fintech a company. They are a sort of niche player, but I, I, they're our lead investor and I really love those guys. Um, the first employee at TechCrunch is actually the founder of, of, of Decian's. They have funded, I think it is, if it's not the first, then it's the second, Unicorn in Africa, which is a, a financial services business uh, in Africa called Shipper Cash but they're they built businesses themselves and we really like them. Mucker Capital here in LA is is a quite a successful venture capital firm and we're honestly very honored that they they got behind us cuz they've uh, invested in some very successful businesses. You know, anyone who goes downtown and sees the big honey building, uh, Mucker was the first investor in Honey. And and then we have another uh, you know, another group of investors um uh I guess There's a company called Angel Ventures, which is actually a Latin American venture capital firm, but those founders actually are, uh, one of them is a a former EMI guy, and they're not a music fund, it just happens to be part of his history, and I think we're their first music investment, but we're not yet going too hard in Latin America, but... Hopefully a year from now, um, we have a whole a whole business uh, there. We think that that's a, a pretty interesting market and that everything I just said about the music market in general, about independence and the growth is sort of trebled uh, when you talk about the Latin market. So we, we think we, we have a good proposition there.
0: Yeah, for sure. What is your Cord Cash technology? Is that the data that's swept up?
1: Yeah, so chord Cash describes two things. One, it's the internal plumbing or 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 the brain of our system right um we sort of branded it and it's it's the data science that values deals that can machine read lots of you know hundreds of different distributors reports we've done a lot of work that we can do all of those things so that's sort of it's it's the brain inside it's the intel inside if you will but it's also something that we offer to independent distributors if they want to white label beat bread and offer algorithmic advances where the they're, you know, if I'm on United Masters or I'm on Symphonic and I want to get an advance from them using our system, but in their brand, Cord Cash is the company that, that works with those distributors to let them do that directly to their own, their own, um, their own customers.
0: It's just the technology then it's not the financial part of it.
1: It depends. So um, it's, it's always technology and service. So we don't just try the technology, but we'll You know, we write the contracts, we do all the customer service for those distributors. Some of our partners provide their own capital, not don't use our capital. Some of them use our capital and that's a decision that um, we let them make. We have worked pretty hard to create a pricing structure that hopefully they're sort of, it's a close call for them. But um, some of those names I just mentioned, you, you know, have raised much more money than we have and don't need money. But it's really hard for them to give an advance below $100,000 just administratively, decide how much to give, talk to the artist, paper the deal, all that. You know, we're fundamentally a data science and business process company. So we we've we found a way with literally about three hours of human work across all the different steps from diligence to contracting to, you know, securing the revenue to get a deal done. And that's why we're able to do a $1,000 deal. So you know, a manager is excited, who qualifies about our $2 million deal. And that's an important part of our business. But I don't think anyone can do a sub $5,000 deal faster, better, with more customer satisfaction than we can.
0: What if I'm an artist and I have a five-year deal with you or even a three-year deal? And before the deal comes to the end, I get to, let's say, a major label deal with the big advance.
1: Yeah, yeah. So our contracts have a formula in them that allows for a buyout. So that exists for two reasons. So the, 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 the marketing reason is an artist can always leave and we're not going to say, oh, now we've got you and we're going to put the screws on you um, and, and negotiate for a huge buyout. It's just a formula. It's disclosed up front. It's basically designed to give us what we would have made anyway, but and, and, and not a whole lot more. The private reason for it is we want to scale. We don't want to create a phalanx of lawyers and relationship people who are going to play. um, I don't know if this is a PG podcast or not, but who's the bigger asshole? Yeah. uh, That part of, of the entertainment business. Listen, if I'm a global superstar, I want an asshole on my side. Once again, that's something that I'm not particularly good at or don't particularly enjoy. So it's a formula and we just move on. Um, so we've had, as I said, so some of those examples I talked about, you know, major labels uh, have signed deals with artists and they just, it's a buyout and, and, and they're on their way.
0: Well, I would think again, if I were an artist, I look at that and I think, okay, well, that makes me feel better because if I have to get out, I can fairly easily.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that, 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 that's the idea.
0: Okay. Last question, Peter, what is the best piece of advice that you've learned along the way or maybe somebody imparted to you
1: gosh i would say figure out what you're good at and figure out what you're not good at and lean into what you're good at and it's okay not to be good at everything that's been good advice for me I i think there's a lot of pain when when you try and do more than you can and it's it's okay to sort of let go and let others do things um whether inside a company or or even what your company does versus what other people do yeah i think i think that's has served me well um when i've not followed it it's been painful and uh yeah i think i think and that's sort of it's the animating idea behind meat bread right Yeah, we believe in in the services that a lot of people provide in the industry a great manager, a great marketing partner, in many cases, a great independent label are essential. We just don't do that part.
0: You can find out more about Beatbread at beatbread.com. That's B E A T B R E A D, beatbread.com. Thanks for listening and being in my inner circle. Remember, if you have any questions or comments, you can send them to questions at Bobby To listen to the episodes of Bobby Osinski's inner circle, go to Bobby Osinski.com and select the podcast tab. Or go to BobbyOwnerCircle.com, where you can find an Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, MixCloud, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, TuneIn Radio, Radio Public, and Podbean. At BobbyOwnerCircle.com and BobbyOwnerCircle.com, you'll also find a sign-in form for my newsletter and for alerts for new podcasts. This is Bobby Osinski, I will see you next time.